Enough of the announcements, enough of all that stuff. Grab your Bible and turn to the New Testament book of 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 1, and give your attention to the reading of God's Word today. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Westside, we're glad that you're here. Like I said, I'm excited for the word that I believe that God has for us today. But before we get into that, um, I'm, I'm actually excited about this new year, um, even though it's starting off a little bit like last year, okay? But the reason why I'm excited is because I believe that God has some new things um, for us as a body of believers and as a church. And one of those things is I, I really love pastors and I really love churches. And here's what I mean by that. Um, I believe that God's plan A I don't believe that there's a plan B. God doesn't have a backup plan for how the gospel of Jesus Christ is to be proclaimed throughout the world. God's plan A for that is the local church. Um, As one pastor said, the local church is an outpost of heaven here on earth. And so I've, I've, I've had a burden for that for a long time. And, and also, I have a burden for Popper Bluff, for Butler County, where we are. And so I believe that God has merged both of those things together. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing something called Churches Loving Churches. And here's what this is. Once a month for us as a church, we are going to have a church of the month. This month is First Baptist Church, Pastor Brandon Spain, him and his wife Amanda, and they have three kids. And what we're going to do is we're going to take time in our service and we're going to pray for another church and we're going to pray for that pastor And then out there in the lobby at the Welcome Center, there's these West Side note cards. And what I want you to do is, on your way out, I want you to jot a little note, very simple, this information's on the Welcome Center. Hey, Pastor Brandon, praying for you and your family and your church, and then just sign your name. And then what I'll do is, I'll write a personal letter to Pastor Brandon or the pastor of that church, and then we as a church will give him and his wife a $50 gift card so they can go out on a date night and then deliver all those note cards to another church. You know why? Because it's not about us. Because it's not about any one particular church. It's about the kingdom of God. And that sign out front, the sign on the pulpit, is not just some fancy slogan that we have. We really do believe that it is all about Jesus here at Westside. And we want, we believe that Popper Bluff would be better if there are better, healthier churches. And so what I want to do is I just want to take just a moment, and if you would pray right where you're at for First Baptist Church and for Pastor Brandon Spain, and we'll take a moment and pray together, okay? So let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we come before you thankful um, for the churches that are in our county and in our city. 
And God, we specifically come before you and pray for First Baptist Church. God, we are so thankful for a church that has been a beacon of light in the community of Popper Bluff for so many years. God, the church on the hill, as it's known. And God, for the faithful people that are a part of that church who week in and week out, whether they are serving in nursery or an usher or a deacon, who have raised kids and raised grandkids in that church, God, we thank you for those people who leave that church and then go out into the community, into their jobs and serve in the community. God, we pray for Pastor Brandon. God, I pray that you would give Pastor Brandon a boldness to preach the gospel. God, I pray that you would, that your anointing and that your spirit would fall afresh upon him, that he would be encouraged in ministry to know that he is making a difference. God, I pray for his wife, that they would be encouraged in ministry together. God, I pray for his three children. God, that you would protect them against the enemy, his workers, and their effects, that they would be kids who grow up and love the church and serve the church of Jesus Christ. God, we pray that Westside would be a church that loves and champions and cheers other churches. And God, let us be a beacon to help out First Baptist Church in any way, shape, or form that we can in the future. God, we ask that you would bless this endeavor of churches loving churches and that these note cards and that these letters and stuff like that would just find a pastor in a moment that needs encouragement and a congregation that needs encouragement. So God, bless this endeavor and let your spirit empower it. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for letting us do that. And if you're watching online, we encourage you to go check out First Baptist Church. It's a great church, Pastor Brandon. And when you leave here today, please stop by, fill out a note card, and drop it in that basket. Well, hey, enough of the mushy stuff. Um, I'm excited about this new year, like I said. And we started last week, uh, the first year, in, or the first Sunday in 2020, and we talked about this idea of attitude. And that's sort of my word of the year, attitude is. And so attitude is my word for 2021, to which my wife says, yes and amen, okay? And what we said was, we said this last week. We said, I can't choose my circumstances. I can't control my circumstances. Listen, if 2020 has taught us anything, you're in control of a lot less than what you realized, okay? That I can't choose or control my circumstances, but I can choose my attitude in my circumstances. And we just got a lot of feedback that, hey, I think that's a word that I need to carry into 2021, that despite what the culture says, despite what you may think, that you actually are in control of a lot more when it comes to your attitude of what you think. And so as we carried this idea um, over into this Sunday, and I was thinking about attitude, and then obviously a lot like many of you, watching and surveying everything that happened um, in our nation this week. I just prayed and really just was praying for our country, praying for our church, praying, asking the Lord what word he would have for us. And when I look at everything that's going on, and when I look at everything that's happened in 2020, I think there's something under everything else. When it comes to this idea of, of attitude, and when it comes to everything else that's going on, at first it looks like, oh man, it's, it's COVID, or oh man, it's this, or oh, it's politics, or oh, it's this. And it seems like that's the main thing on the surface. But I think there's something underneath all of that. I think it's something that's driving the division. I think it's driving rhetoric. I think it's driving everything. And it's one word. And it's fear. I see it everywhere. 
Now, it looks different. It looks like anger. It looks like outrage. It looks like this. It looks like that. But then the more and more I talk to people and the more and more I'm involved in people's lives, I see fear dominating everything and everywhere that I look. And so when we look at coming into this new year and when we talk about attitude, we said our attitude is the lens through which we look at life. That's our attitude. You have a choice of what glasses and lens you put on. It can be politics, it can be fear, it can be whatever, but when you have that on as a lens, everything that you see is tainted by that lens. And, and when we talk about fear, I think it's helpful to distinguish a few things. I remember growing up in church as a kid, and then it was like, God tells us not to fear, right? That's like one of the number one commands in the Bible, by the way, is to fear not. It's what I want to talk about today. And, you know, I mean, there's not even a close second, the amount of times that God says fear not. But then I would come across these verses that was like, but the beginning of knowledge is fear of the Lord. You should fear the Lord. But then I'm like, but it's not fear. And I remember being in junior church with the sugar-free Kool-Aid and the dry wafer crackers. And I was like, why can't we get regular Kool-Aid? And then just confused about that stuff, right? And so I want to distinguish a little bit when, when we talk about this idea. There is a healthy fear, okay? Healthy fear is a biological response to danger which causes action. Okay, so your, your body's designed a certain way. We're created in the image and likeness of God, we believe. And God's designed you a certain way that when you hear that sound at night or when the phone rings or when something happens or when you are in a situation that requires action, your body releases adrenaline, stuff happens in those moments. That is a healthy fear, okay? That is a healthy fear. That's not what I'm talking about today. What I'm talking about today is... An unhealthy fear, if I could get back to it. Technology is great when it works, and when it doesn't, it doesn't. The unhealthy fear is this. Unhealthy fear is a chronic state of mind that is anxious about the future and paralyzed in the present. That's unhealthy fear. Unhealthy fear is a chronic state of mind. From the moment that you wake up, you are anxious about what the day holds and what is going to happen, and then the phone call, and then I gotta get the kids off, and then today at work, I gotta, and what if, and it's gonna, and I don't know, and, and what you find yourself is paralyzed throughout the day. You see, fear most of the time deals with the future. Nobody's really fearful about the past unless you did some stuff that nobody knows about, and you're fearful that they're gonna find out, and that's a different sermon, okay, right? Fear most of the time deals with the future, what's, what's to come. And listen, when we look in the scriptures, God commands us constantly. God speaks directly to this unhealthy fear. And, and, and if he speaks to it so often, then that tells me that it's probably something that a majority of us struggle with. The word that Paul uses in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 the word fear there is not the normal word that's used in the scripture, okay? So for the two of you who care, here's a language lesson, okay? The normal word that's used in the scripture is phobos, which is where we get the word phobias from, right? There's weird phobias like fear of peanut butter. Like how could you be afraid of peanut butter? It's glorious, okay, right? I mean, there's all that phobias. That's where that comes from. The apostle Paul uses a different word and it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. It's a word that we see in extra-biblical literature of a soldier who runs away in battle. A soldier who is in the fight 
and is so paralyzed and so afraid that they drop their sword and they turn and they run away. I started studying the scriptures and looking at this idea of fear, this type of unhealthy fear. And there's two main things I want us to see about this fear and how it affects our life. The first one is this. Unhealthy fear is a bondage. And here's what I mean. In Romans chapter 8, it says this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. The spirit of slavery, of bondage, to do what? To fall back into fear. That tells me that fear is controlling that it does something to us in our life, that, that we're supposed to move forward, there's things we're supposed to do, there's, there's action that's supposed to be taken, but, but we can't because we're in bondage to it. But you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Listen, if this fear is in your life, it controls everything. Your thoughts, your emotions, your relationships, your circumstances, what you do, what you don't do. This is a bondage. And listen, this breaks my heart. Because the people of Jesus Christ are supposed to be the freest people on the planet. The people, the followers of Jesus Christ who claim that they follow Jesus, who beat sin, death, and hell, who went to the cross, who died in our place, and three days later rose again, who Peter would stand up in the book of Acts and say that if you call upon the name of Jesus Christ, that you would be freed from everything that you would be freed from everything, still live in bondage. And listen, i got to tell you today, I'm hyped up because I want to come today with a word that will break this bondage. Listen, today I firmly believe that those of us who are struggling with fear in this room, that it controls relationships, that it controls our mindset, that it controls our attitude every day, I believe that if you lean into what God has for us today, I believe that this bondage can be broken. But if it continues, it gets even more serious. I was studying this verse and realized this, that unhealthy fear forfeits faith. And I was studying this in Revelation. By the way, I had never seen this before. And I just stopped and just thanked God that, that I get to teach the Scriptures for a living. And, and, and I want you to know that as your pastor, it is never a miss on me that I get to do this. And that God's still revealing things to me. Thank you for allowing me to be your pastor to teach the scriptures. It's the great honor and privilege of my life to study the scriptures and to teach these. And as I was looking in this, it's Revelation 21, and it's the verse that's always read about people who aren't going to heaven or the people who aren't going to make it in. And we know the list, right? We know the, the murderers and the sexually immoral. That's right, preacher, all them murderers and sexually immoral and them sorcerers. Harry Potter ain't even making it in there. And the idolaters, and we know about the liars, and they're not. All those people, all those people ain't making it in. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, I've never seen it before. Because listen, this fear will control your life so much that it will always produce compromise. And the moment that you have to step out in obedience to Christ, you won't do it. Because the fear controls so much of your mind and so much of your heart that ultimately you forfeit faith. In order to live for this, your comfortable life controlled by fear. 
Listen, this is an issue that, that all of us deal with. And, and, I, and I think it comes up in a number of ways. I think there's three sort of common areas that fear dominates our life. The first one is this. We fear losing what we have. That's a common fear. Whether it be a job, whether it be a relationship, whether it be a loved one. Some of us have suffered loss and suffering in our life that has propelled us on a trajectory that we now fear losing what we have. And some of us have just come out of a year where we lost a lot. We had to deal with that. But the second thing is this, we fear getting what we don't want. That's suffering, that's trials, that's I fear that something's going to enter into my life that I don't want that's going to change my life. See, Jason, I have this plan and I have this trajectory for my life and if all those other things come in, that's going to change it. Or we fear not getting what we need. And oftentimes we feel this fear in our relationships. That's why all of a sudden now the wife doesn't feel safe or secure. And I wonder, we don't, are we the same anymore as our marriage? We don't, what's the, I don't feel like I'm receiving the love that I'm giving. And I don't feel safe. I don't feel assured in this relationship anymore. You see, fear dominates our lives in a number of ways. And then when we come to 2 Timothy, the author is the apostle Paul. And you got to know where Paul's writing from. 2 Timothy is the very last thing that the Apostle Paul writes in all of the Bible. The Apostle Paul is days and hours away from being executed by the Roman government. Because the Apostle Paul is going around and he's preaching that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Can I get an amen, somebody? That Jesus is Lord. And so now he's in a rat, sewage-infested prison moments away from getting his head cut off. Church history would tell us that after he pens this letter, that they had to execute Paul at night outside of the Roman city because he was actually a Roman citizen. And church history in sort of a mystical way records that they carry the Apostle Paul outside of the city and that Nero, the emperor himself, rides out on his horse late at night takes off his cloak, and the emperor himself watches the Apostle Paul get his head cut off. And then church history records that as soon as the Apostle Paul saw Nero, that he began preaching the gospel while his head was cut off. Because he knew if I can get to Nero, if I can preach the gospel to that man, that it'll change the world. And he's writing to a young, scared, timid pastor. Timothy's in Ephesus, and he's younger, and he's in a big church, and he doesn't know what he's doing. Well, that sounds like Pastor Jason. Um, and, and all this, and, he, and he's writing to reassure him. He's writing to reassure him. And so listen, if the Apostle Paul was in circumstances that he's in, that, can I just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb here, okay? I don't want to, this might sting and offend you a little bit, but welcome to Westside, all right? Um, if the Apostle Paul's circumstance was worse than yours, we we'll probably say that. Is that okay to say? That's probably safe to say. But yet his attitude was one of assuring Timothy to not fear. Then I think then there's something here for us. You see, he doesn't just tell us not to fear for any certain reason. When it says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, the reason why that's a lowercase s there in your Bible. If you have your Bible with you, it's not a capital S, it's a lowercase s for the two of you who care. What he's saying is that that's not a reference to the Holy Spirit. He's using sort of a, a, a language tool to say, hey, God has not given us an attitude or a mindset of fear. God has not given us an attitude or mindset of fear, which tells me this. Anything, please listen to me, and I'm going to be as clear as I can. 
anything that produces an unhealthy, chronic fear in your life is not of God. Any sort of rhetoric, anything that produces that type of fear is not from God. And I believe is actually there's probably a demonic spirit behind something like that. That that is something that the enemy uses to keep people in bondage. And if you're first time here, you're like, God, he's already talking about demons in the sermon. Listen, I'm just telling you, I'm coming with the word today because I believe that there's a lot more going on than what we actually think. And this is the declaration. This is the declaration that I want us to have together today, and it's this. And, and, and I know this is going to sound crazy. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, I have nothing to fear in this new year. And okay, it's so like I want you to see the 9 a.m. They said it really loud and, and really, really good, okay? But I'm trying to get a point across. Listen, you might leave today not agreeing with what I said, but you're not going to leave today going, well, I don't know what he said. Okay, I'm going to be real clear, okay? My goal today is to free us from this bondage of fear. So here's what I want you to do. I want us to lift our voices and say this out loud together, okay? All right, so here we go. Lift up your voices. You're in the sermon now. Ready? Here we go. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I have nothing to fear in this new year. Come on, one more time. I need you loud. Lift up your voice. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I have nothing to fear in this new year. Nothing to fear. And I know what you're saying. Well, that kind of gets me jazzed up, Pastor. I kind of like it. Sounds good, man. I like it. But I have a lot to fear. I have a lot to fear. Well, listen, here's what I love about the Bible. The Bible's not just some hallmark like, hey, don't fear, rah, rah, it's just wild. Like, don't fear. It's not just some cheerleader thing, okay? The Bible has power. It has tools there. And the Apostle Paul tells us three things that God has given us so we don't fear. They're listed right there. We're going to go through them one by one. And the first thing that I see is this. I will not fear my circumstances because I have power. Look at what he says. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Um, if you've grown up in church any amount of time, you've probably heard like, the New Testament word for power is the word dynamos, which is where we get the English word for dynamite. Like, and that's cool, and that's kind of right, but kind of not. The word that the Apostle Paul uses here for power is actually closer to the word dynamic. And that brings a whole new clarity to it. And that's why I'm saying I will not fear my circumstances. Dynamic has to do with moving forward. The word dynamic means to propel forward almost. That's why, I'm, oh man, that's a dynamic person. That person's moving forward. There's something happening there. And so when the Apostle Paul says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, he's given us a dynamic spirit of, of power, of something that propels us and moves us forward. Which tells me this. If God's given us something that moves us forward, then that tells me that fear freezes us. And that's what we see in the passage when the Apostle Paul says, Timothy, I would remind you, verse 6, to fan into the flame the gift that God's given you. That tells me that Timothy wasn't using his gifting in his fullest extent. That, he, that fear was a bondage. 
That fear was keeping him from doing what he should be doing. And maybe you're like that. I don't know what circumstances you have in your life. I don't know what you're facing. But maybe there's some things that God's calling you to do. Maybe some things that you know or to do is right, but you're like, man, if I do that, that's going to unleash all of these other things and all of this other stuff, and it's almost just better not to do anything because then, and listen, all I'm saying is, is that if you live like that, you will die by paralysis. The relationships will never move forward. The circumstance will never move forward. But what God is telling us through his word is this. He's saying that the power of God propels you forward. That Listen to me, your relationships and those circumstances and those situations don't have to stay stagnant. They don't. And listen, here's what it requires of you. Here's what it requires of you. God's already said what he's provided. Power to move forward. But it requires faith. It requires you stepping out in obedience, listen, when you don't know what the outcome's going to be. Because you're like, I know what you're saying. Well, Pastor Jay, I would love to step out in obedience. Um, can you tell me what's going to happen after I do? That would be great. I've got this circumstance, the situation, kind of praying about this thing, got this stuff, some pretty big decisions, it's going to affect some stuff. And so if I go this direction, I would like to know what happens. And then if I would go this direction, I would love to know what happens. And listen to me, listen to me. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is control. And you wanting to know the outcome and the circumstances and then this and that is you desiring control. And when you keep reaching for that, faith gets smaller and smaller and smaller. The whole point of this is some of us, listen to me, some of us are facing circumstances that you will not know the outcome of unless it's on the other side of obedience. Then you'll know the outcome. That's the whole story of the Bible. It's God coming to people saying, hey, I want you to do this. And they're going, I don't want to do that. God's like, well, I want you to do that. And they're like, well, I don't want to do that. And he's like, go do this. And they're like, what's going to happen? He's like, I don't know, but I want you to do it. And they're like, I don't want to do it. And then they do it. And then we have the Bible, right? That's what the whole storyline is. So listen, fear freezes you, but the power of God propels you forward. You do not have to fear your circumstances. Any circumstance that has you in bondage or trapped that you feel stuck, listen, I'm telling you, is not of God. It is not of God. And one of the greatest strategies that the enemy can have is to say, hurry up. You got to hurry up. You got to hurry up and choose this. You got to hurry A or B. A or B. God's got this. You got to hurry up and choose it. Rushed decisions, hurried, frantic, anxious. Listen, that's not of God. Christians don't make decisions that way. You're over here going, A or B, it's got to be A or B. And God's over here like, well, be still and know that I'm God. And you'll realize there's C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, and even L, M, N, O, P. God has not given us that spirit, that attitude, that mindset. He's given us one of power. The second thing that I see is this. I will not fear my relationships. I have love. Look at what he says. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love. I love that he coupled those together, right? Because like some of us are like, power! All right, I'm a Christian. I'm kicking indoors, and I ain't taking nothing from nobody. And I'm not, newsflash, you're mean. Okay, nobody told you that, but you're mean. Okay, what you need is love. 
Because all power and no love is brutality. But all love and no power is hypocrisy. You need both. You need both. And the word that he uses for love, like in our English, everything's love, right? Love, right? Love, Taco Bell, love, all the love, all this stuff, okay? We've totally butchered the meaning. And what we've allowed as Christians is for the world to take our word and then ascribe it to everything. The word that he uses here is like a supernatural love. It's agape love is the word. It means super, It means it comes from God. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God. And I know what you're saying, Jason, I don't have the love for those relationships. Correct. Correct. No, you don't. But God does. And God gives you that love. And what it requires, listen, this is going to be a, just blow your mind. What it requires for you to give that love in a relationship that you don't have is to realize it's not about you. It's not about you. It's never been about you. And any time a relationship revolves around me and how I feel and what I need, and this is all, that's a black hole. It's never going to work. But the love that God offers us is a self-sacrificing love. You can't agape love this way and still be focused on yourself. And when it comes to thinking about fear in relationships, it's relationships require this. This is what relationships function off of. This is the fuel of all relationships. And listen, here's what I'm trying to say. All relationships fail because of a failure to love. That's it. I don't care from one side, the other side, this, that, what came first, the chicken or the egg. I don't care about that. And I don't care about the state of the relationship now. What you're saying is, well, Jason, we got here now, and love sure isn't going to fix it. What I'm saying is, somewhere along the way, there was a failure of self-sacrificing love. And then the relationship began to break down. And what happens when a relationship begins to break down? Anxiety and fear. And then what do you start to do out of anxiety and fear? You start to protect yourself. So now I'm not doing that. He's not. When's the last time he's ever said that? I'm not saying it. I went 30 years saying this and he's never. And I'm not going to. She's never always you. And, what, and now the breakdown begins to happen. I'll never forget coming across this man who's an early church father by the name of John Climactus. And he wrote this book called The Ladder of Divine Ascent. He's an early church father, and he wrote on holiness and all of this stuff. But, but in the book, he has a whole chapter about fear and what it is to, to live a life of holiness that combats fear. And I'll never forget reading his definition of fear. He said this, fear is the loss of assurance. And it just struck a chord with me. You see, I, I struggle with fear. I struggle with insecurities. I struggle with insecurities of what I'm doing right now. And I battle thoughts of what you're thinking and why are you looking at me that way and they're not here this week. And I wonder if they're going to come back. I struggle with that. And it's because in those moments, I'm not sure of who I am. Because the moment I cross my identity over of this being who I am is a dangerous place to be. Because long before I'm a preacher, long before I'm a pastor, I'm a child of God. God loved me long before I ever preached a single sermon. And you know what? God loved you long before you ever did anything. And the moment that we're not assured in relationships, it begins to break down. And that's why in the New Testament we see this, 1 John 4, 8. There's no fear in love. 
but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, danger, the future. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So what's the antidote to the fear that's going on in the relationship? It's love. And listen, I'm just going to challenge you on this. I'm just, just hear me out, okay? You don't have to do it, but just listen to me. What would it look like for you to make the first move? Boy, he doesn't understand that what he's not said, and I can't do that. He doesn't know the situation. I get it. You're the exemption. Your, your situation's so special, okay? It's so special, right? And you're exempt from everything. But here's what I'm trying to say. If you fear certain relationships, ask yourself this question. What does love require of me right now? What does love require of me? That is the banner over every Christian's life. What does love require of me? Because you know what love might require in one relationship? For you to speak truth to somebody who's living in sin. That's a loving thing to do. And for another situation, it might look completely different. But the banner hanging over every Christian's life is this. What does love require of me? And listen, down with being right all the time. It's exhausting. Congratulations, you're right. How's that going for you? Going good? How are those relationships that you're right in all the time? Because here's what we say all the time. You can make a point or you can make a difference, but you can't make both. So you have a choice. It can be to protect yourself out of fear and anxiety. Or it can be the risk to love. And it is a risk to love. You say, Jason, how do you know that? Um, What's our symbol for our faith again? What's that one thing that Christians use as our symbol? It's like standing behind me and 10 feet tall. What is it again? Oh, it's a cross. Do you understand that in the first century that if you walked around with a cross around your neck, it would be like walking around with an electric chair? They'd be like, what are you wearing a cross for, man? That's, that is a symbol of execution, of death. of like, What are you wearing that for, right? And now we've redeemed it as our symbol of love. No greater love has any man than this, and a man laid down his life for his friends. So you can self-preserve and not love anything, or you can self-sacrifice and watch your relationships flourish. It's the antidote to fear. I don't have to fear relationships because God has given us love. God's given us this love. And then the third thing that I see is this. I will not fear myself. I have self-control. Look at what he says. For God gave us the spirit, not of fear, but of power of love. See, we're going one by one, and this is the last one, which means it's probably the last point in the sermon. Okay. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. The translation I remember growing up memorizing was of a sound mind. I know what some of you are saying. Jason, I don't, circumstances, I understand that, but I don't really fear like my circumstances. Relationships, that's not what predominantly... Jason, what I struggle with and what I fear is, is my own mind. Because that's the reason why at night, like, I have to fall asleep with my phone and the TV on, with the computer, petting the dog and the fan. And then I just kind of, because my mind, because I can't, I've always got to. It's interesting that when you go for a checkup, a doctor asks you two questions. How's your eating? What are you eating? And how's your sleep? Because the true test of a mind is a mind at rest. And it's the number, I mean, I mean, this past year, mental health has skyrocketed, all of, all of these things. And listen, the greatest battle 
oftentimes for many of us, is ourselves. Is ourselves. That's why in the Scriptures always, Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the attitude, by your thinking that enters into our minds. That's why the Apostle Paul would go on and say this, we destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought captive. I mean, this is strong language. This means that you take the thought and you UFC choke it, tap it out in order to submit it to obey Christ. Listen, contrary to what the culture would tell you and contrary to what you tell yourself, you have the ability to control that. That God has supernaturally given his followers the ability to take those thoughts captive and submit that to Christ. Because let's be honest, nobody lies to you more than you do. Nobody talks to you more than you talk to yourself. And the greatest battles is when we're in the car and we're driving and it's at night and what about I'm doing the dishes and my mind is going insane. And what is, listen, God has given us the ability. I've come to tell you, you might not believe it, but I've come to tell you that God has given his followers the ability to do that, to submit those thoughts captive to Christ. So how do we do that really quickly? Listen, I want to run through these really quick. How do I take my thoughts captive? How do I do this? The first thing is this, um, confess it to God. We have an entire book of the Bible called the Psalms. Do you know what they are? Have you ever read them? They're like people's personal journals. I mean, David, right? He's the guy who's like playing the harp and killing a bear with his bare hands. He's all cool and stuff. David might have been bipolar. I don't know. Have you ever read the Psalms? Because one psalm on one page is like, oh God, my God, you will never for your steadfast love endures forever, and your word will always be with me. Very next psalm, God, where are you? You've left me and lied to me. I can't believe this. It's like on the same page. You know what that shows me? They struggled. So what makes you think you're not going to struggle? Down with the mindset that this isn't going to be hard. Because if you're looking for the little pill or the three points that's going to help you and not be hard, I don't have any of that for you. It's going to be a struggle. But what we know is that God is with us in the struggle. So what does it look like in those moments to go, God, right now, my mind is spinning. I've got, I'm, I fear myself. God, I need you with me. God, God, I'm confessing this to you. I've got to control these thoughts. But it doesn't just stop there. Confess it to God's people. This is where we stop. This is where we stop. Ah, I just didn't want to bother, and I don't, I don't really like asking for help, and I don't do it. Listen to me. This is going to sting a little bit, but I love you, okay? In a moment when you're trying to take your thoughts captive, loneliness is a choice. Listen to me. In the moments when you're battling yourself, loneliness is a choice. And you have the ability to reach out and to not reach out in those moments. And please listen to me. All it is is a text message and going, hey, today I just woke up. I just, have you ever had these days where the moment your eyes woke up, you thought, I feel it on me today. Oh, y'all more saved than me in here? Y'all don't ever feel that. Okay, awesome. Where you're like, man, I'm just battling me today. I'm feeling this. I am, oh. What does it look like to text a friend and go, hey, today I just need you to pray for me? And then what if you're that friend that goes, yeah, I can pray for you. How can I pray for you specifically? See, we need people that will press in, not just some, okay, never hear from them again. Pfft, I'm drowning over here. 
okay, how can I pray for you specifically? How can I, how can I do this today? It's confessing it to God, it's confessing it to God's people, and then it's this, it's replacing it with God's word. It's not just removing something. It's removing it and then replacing it. That's what you have to do. That's why we as a church read through the Bible every year. We're reading through it this year. we got Bible reading plans out there. That's why we read portions of Scripture out loud together. Listen, we're not doing this just because it's cool or something. We're doing it because we believe God's Word has power in it. And what does it look like? Never in church history, never in church history has God's Word been more readily available and not read. I mean, think about this. You have Bible reading apps that will read the Bible to you. Like, we're going to stand before God. And God's going to be like, I mean, like, the Bible, I gave you that. And you were like, oh, I mean, I never really had time. Time, right? I mean, what does it look like? Maybe for you, maybe it's instead of the TV on and your phone in your lap at night before you go to bed and you're scrolling and doing all this, what if it's putting the Bible reading app on and you listen to the Bible while you go to bed? Don't put it on the book of Revelation, though, before you go to bed. That'd be the weirdest thing ever, okay? I mean, what if if driving in your car, you turn off Rush Limbaugh, praise be to God, or CNN, or like you turn that junk off and you just turn on the Bible? Like, Like, this is what it looks like to take the thought captive and submit it to obey it to Christ. That we have the ability to do this. Because listen, I just firmly believe that in this new year that we can be free from fear. I really believe we can. And in closing, there's a motivation for us here. That there's got to be a reason why this is true. This is how my mind works. I'm the why guy, okay? So... If, if I'm you and I'm sitting out there and I'm listening to some guy go, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I have nothing to fear this new year, my question is why? What's the, what's the truth that drives this to be true? How, how can this happen? And it comes down to this. Revelation chapter 1, the Apostle John says, And when I saw him, the resurrected Jesus Christ, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and hell in my hands. How can you go another year without any fear? Because listen to me, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, born on this earth, lived the life that we could not live, and he died the death that we deserve, and Jesus Christ stared death in the eyes. He took it on, sin, death, and hell, and three days later he rose again, which tells me this, that the grave is empty and the throne is occupied. So no matter what comes my way, circumstance, relationship, or myself, that I trust in Jesus Christ who is alive, seated on the throne, and ruling the universe. That's where this ability comes from. That we worship Jesus who conquered the greatest fear, death. We have nothing else to fear now. I solely trust on that frame. I solely trust in Jesus' name. So here's what I want to do. I want to create a space for us, okay? Because I think some of us have circumstances and relationships, or maybe even yourself, that you came in here today and the fear is driving it down. What I want to do is I want to create a space. We're going to read a prayer together. And then maybe maybe you can just lay it down today. Maybe you can just, God, the relationship, the circumstance, 
I've got to lay this down before you today and create that space for God to meet us in a moment of faith and vulnerability. So aside, stand to your feet right where you're at. The words of this prayer will be on the screen. And I want us to read these words out loud together today as a confession and as an act of faith. Westside, let us lift our voices up loud together. Holy God, we can be so full of fear at times, afraid of the unknown, afraid of what is beyond our control, afraid of what is strange to us. And we know that fear stops us in our tracks hinders our action and gives excuse for not doing what you call us to do and what you empower us to do. So we pray that you will give us courage, O oh God. Give us strong hearts and open hands that we might set aside our fear and walk confidently into this world that you have made. In Jesus' name. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And God, I pray for every person in this room or every person watching online who has a relationship that they're fearing or a situation and circumstance that's dominating their mind. And God, I just pray right now through the power of the Holy Spirit, wherever that person's at, that they would hear from the throne room of God, fear not, for God is with you. For he's not given you that spirit that is not of God, little child. Run away from that and run to power and to love and to a sound mind. Holy Spirit, empower us to be your people who live a life bold for you, Jesus. Let us be a people who live free from fear. We pray this in the name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.